Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So, Simon, welcome to Mentally Yours. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's so cool to be here. So I wanted to chat to you about kind of alcoholism in general, uh, staying sober past dry January, because obviously we're through that now, um, and also how alcohol and giving up alcohol has affected your mental health it's mentally yours from ellen and a focus on your mental health you surely won't regret it's mentally 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 yours mentally yours mentally yours so can we start with just how did you realize that you had a problem with alcohol? Yeah, that's a really good place to start, actually, because so many people don't ever realize they've got a problem. They drink daily and think everything's okay. And I was one of those people. I was drinking between one and three bottles of red wine every day, often washed down with beers or sometimes spirits. And I I went on for years, like over two decades, not realizing I had a problem. And eventually I could see it was affecting me how I was putting alcohol in front of the most important things in my life, like my son and my wife, my health, my career. And I spent about five years in the place after not being aware which was actually being aware I had a problem and starting to realize this was affecting my day-to-day life and causing me problems. And I was thinking about alcohol too much. And that actually led to about five years being stuck in a really painful place, which was where I was aware, but I didn't know what the hell to do about it. And when I coach people, um, I help people quit alcohol through my Facebook group and I do coaching sessions uh, away from that as well. I often tell them that that is probably the toughest part on the journey to freedom from alcohol when you're stuck in that place where you you just don't know what to do. You know you've got a problem, but where do you go? How, where do you turn? And that was a difficult time for me. And I, yeah, I spent a long time there and I mean, without going into all the detail, which maybe we can dig into a little bit, without going into all that detail, the, the tipping point for me was one morning sat at my computer and my hands were shaking. They were shaking uncontrollably. And the next day, the same thing. And I realized that this was affecting my health. You know, I was going to end up 
dead mm. before the age of 50 if I carried on doing this. And that was when I actually moved from just being aware I had a problem to actually starting to do something about it. The people in your life, were they aware of what was going on and what you were doing? No, I, I, like many people with an alcohol problem, I was I was really good at kind of covering it up. I've, I actually run a business with 25 staff and I used to be in the office by half past seven most mornings. I'd brush my teeth three or four times every morning. My tongue would be purple from the red wine the night before. And, and nobody really knew. I don't know if I smelt through my pores and my skin mm. from the booze that I'd had the night before. But I really did try to take steps to hide it. Um, my wife, yeah, she was aware of how much I was drinking. And I actually moved from drinking bottles of wine onto wine boxes because I kind of wanted to hide that and her not really be able to see it in the cold light of day for what it was and the wine boxes are also really easy to get rid of in the recycling so the neighbors didn't notice either when you were drinking at kind of at your worst did you notice certain triggers was it when you were stressed or was it just constant drinking every day no it was every day and do you know what i always gave myself a reason so if we had a good day at the business you know we we brought on board five new clients that's a reason let's celebrate and open the wine if i had a bad day and a client left us a bad review that was another excuse i'd always have a reason and i'd always tr justify it to myself so there weren't because i i wasn't a binge drinker where there was a particular trigger or a place that set it off it was just a daily routine my son would go to bed and I you know I couldn't wait to get him to bed which you know is awful now I look back on that uh, to, so that I could get the Shiraz out of the cupboard and just drink it in as volumes of as much as possible so no there, there wasn't really a trigger it was just this daily routine looking back though was there anything that you were trying to kind of escape from at that time yeah that's a do you know so much has come to light since i quit and it's quite a story particularly in relation to mental health but i think i was so I suffered from really, really bad anxiety. It was horrific. And I would worry about things that never, often never happened. And I would work myself up. I'd have meltdowns about things. But I made myself feel better by thinking, well, there's always the wine this evening. You know, that always takes the edge off. So I think I was kind of self-medicating without actually realizing it, all these tough challenging thoughts that were going on in my head and these feelings but the the interesting dimension to this is over since I quit drinking I, now I've always been quite hyperactive quite impulsive um and in fact there's a whole whole bunch of things and and people have said to me over the years my god you must have ADHD you know that and it's been like a running joke since I quit a lot of the ADHD symptoms have been so much clearer. And my wife actually said to me, she sort of sat me down and said, look, I'm really seeing these. I'm seeing so many things that I didn't see when you were drinking because I was masking it with the alcohol. And the quitting drinking is almost like someone's pulled back the curtains on these symptoms and there's no hiding from it. It's not covered up now. So I actually went for an ADHD assessment. Again, long story short, 
and they confirm that I've got combined adult ADHD. And had I not quit drinking, I would never have been able to have shone a light on that. I would have probably just carried on living as I was. And it all makes so much sense now that I actually was drinking because I had so many things going on with the ADHD as well as the anxiety that I just, you know, I felt frustrated. Things would get to me. I didn't feel like people understood what, how certain things made me feel. Um, but it was always okay because I always had wine and that always took the edge off and I could always look forward to it. So I'm, you know, again, it feels like another gift from the sober life that I've been able to know that I've got that and now understand myself a bit better. Um, and yeah, and that's opened up a whole nother angle in terms of kind of mental health and so on. So it's not only the anxiety, it's um, ADHD to go with it as well. How do you cope with ADHD and anxiety now? Because obviously it's brilliant to give up drinking, but it's kind of like you've given up your self-medication as well. Yeah, that's so around probably three or four months after I quit drinking, the, the dark clouds of anxiety that had been with me for probably 20 years or more, it was almost as if they started to fade away and it was like the sun started coming out in my life again. And I was so much more engaged and present with my son and my wife and my friends and anything that I was doing. And I started actually noticing myself smiling and laughing again you know I thought I was destined to become this kind of grumpy old man I just thought that was who I was and how it was all going to be and suddenly things started changing and this anxiety faded away instead of it feeling like nine or ten out of ten in terms of how bad it was it just faded down to like two or three out of ten and yes things do still come up that cause me anxiety. That's life. But I've now learned to sit with emotions and sit with uncomfortable feelings. I've even done YouTube videos about how to handle those feelings and work through them rather than bury them or, or self-medicate them with alcohol. So I can now have something uncomfortable happen in my life and I can work through that and I can file it away with complete closure on it, never to rear its head again kind of thing. That's, that's how it feels. The ADHD is a slightly different story to the anxiety. I feel like the anxiety has faded away and it's never come back. The ADHD is very recent. And yeah, when I was suffering with that, that did cause a lot of challenging feelings and kind of frustrating feelings and I had mood swings and so on. And they actually, the ADHD clinic provided, uh, prescribed me medication, which I was so reluctant to take. I'd read, uh, anyone with ADHD will understand how you hyper-focus on things. I spent four days reading everything about this medication, all the side effects. And eventually somebody who I'd actually coached to help them quit drinking revealed to me that her daughter was on the same tablets and she was doing so well. So I I thought I'm going to approach this the same way I approach help when I help people to quit alcohol. I'm going to treat these tablets as a 30 day experiment. I'm going to journal every day. I'm going to log my feelings, my experience and just treat it like an experiment. I'm going to be really curious and I'm going to see how it is for me. And do you know what? The first day I took these tablets, I had 
this sense of inner peace. I felt like something had slowed me down. I, I wasn't rushing around like I normally do. I didn't feel like I was being driven by a like a motor that was pushing me to do everything immediately. And and they've been like that since I started taking them. I'm just getting to the end of the 30 days and I'm going back to see the specialist again about it. But it's been a great experience and I, I feel like I actually feel they're almost life-changing. Um, sure, I don't particularly want to be on medication for the rest of my life, but if I haven't got enough dopamine being produced in my brain and it needs balancing, well, so be it. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a common thing as well, even not with just ADHD, but we've spoken to so many people about antidepressants and there's that fear of, oh, will I ruin my creativity? Will I be a different person? So it's nice to hear someone saying like, no, it worked out really well, and I'm glad that I tried it. Yeah, and I, f- I think it's early days, and one of the gifts of ADHD for me was is the ability to kind of hyper-focus. So when I get immersed in something, for example, writing a book, which, wow, I never thought I'd be able to do that, I will not let go until I've completed it. The same with my business. You know, I wanted it to reach a certain level and I just worked on it, lived it, breathed it until it got to that level. And then I kind of wanted more. So you're right. Creativity, drive, that kind of thing. I, I'm kind of watching that one very closely, but I do feel I've still got that energy and desire to do things but I just feel so much more rational and in check. And I just, I feel kind of normal, which is a bit weird. But uh, and the other thing that happened with the anxiety after I quit drinking as well was this feeling of being really grounded, which I'd never felt before. And just as if things couldn't phase me and weren't going to cause a meltdown like they used to, which was a really weird feeling because everything used to make me snap, make me react, overreact actually to, you know, and it didn't need a lot to do that. So the alcohol made a huge difference. And then the fact it's now shone a light on ADHD is, is amazing. And just, just like my sober badge that I absolutely wear with pride. I'm an advocate for the alcohol-free movement. I wear my ADHD badge with pride. I, you know, there's not enough people talk about this stuff and there's definitely not enough guys that talk about this stuff. So I'm really trying to you know, change the story with that and, and get guys talking. And it's amazing when I get emails from from everybody but particularly from guys who've heard something i've said and they've connected with it and it it feels it's resonated with them it feels like their own story and they're able to maybe just open up to me or just open up in the facebook group you know I, i feel like it's all so worthwhile when that happens can we go back to when you realized you had a problem and then you said kind of there were five years or so where you knew there was a problem but didn't know what to do? What? How did you change things? How did you actually stop drinking? Yeah, that's the that's probably the most common um, question yeah. people who've got a problem ask me. You know, how do I do it? How do I get where I need to be? Um, for me, it so once I decided to do something about it, I started to educate myself. I picked up just about every quit drinking book I could lay my hands on. I was reading every blog. I was listening to every podcast, trying to learn about how 
how to quit alcohol successfully, what a sober life looks like. And I'd started to get really excited about it. It just felt like the right fit for me. It felt like I, I really wanted it. I, I was kind of hungry for it. And not everybody gets excited and motivated about it. A lot of people feel they're actually having something taken away from them and, and feel a sense of deprivation. So I often talk about my 2020 catchphrase, which is liquid vegan. And I explain to people that if you can approach sobriety like a vegan approaches veganism, you know, they wear their badge with pride. They they're not sat in the corner crying because they can't have meat and they can't have dairy products. They're just passionate about what they do and they love the lifestyle choice they've made for themselves. It totally reframes sobriety and it becomes a lifestyle choice rather than somebody being deprived of, you know, of their favorite, favorite alcoholic drink. So have, having that kind of mindset massively helped me. And then I worked through all my beliefs about alcohol. So I, believed I couldn't have fun unless I drank. I believed I couldn't de-stress unless I had alcohol. But I didn't realize that actually you can have beliefs and they can be completely wrong. And when I started unpicking those beliefs with the help of a couple of really good sober books, I was able to form new beliefs that were still absolutely true, but they were beliefs that didn't hold me back and beliefs that served me in a positive way. And there were loads of these beliefs. I mean, the list was huge. And then I set to work on really reinforcing those beliefs. Uh, beliefs. So a great example is going to a gig without drinking. I did not think that was possible. I used to get into a venue and I'd be straight to the bar. I'd buy two pints always. Sometimes I'd buy three and carry one in my mouth. Then I'd it would be a an evening of going to the toilet to empty out all the beer that I'd drunk and then back to the bar and back again. And I thought that was how you had a good time. And I remember going to watch Mumford and Sons. It was the first gig I went to sober and it was just unbelievable. And I, I was so immersed, so engaged. And I remembered it the next day and I got to drive home and get into my comfy bed without the room spinning. I woke up hangover free with all the fresh memories and it was just an incredible experience. I'd never, ever done that before. Uh, and right after that, that belief that I knew to an extent was true, that I that I could have fun at a gig without drinking, was just concrete. It was absolutely solid. I never wanted to go to another gig and drink again. And I remembered all the gigs I'd been to where I had been absolutely wasted and thought, my God, how much have I missed? How much don't I remember? You know, some of the things like Dolly Parton at Glastonbury, you know, I couldn't see the stage. My eyes were so blurred. You know, and they like so many things. And I, I was there and I'm, you know, and I'm, I can't even remember it. But, the, you know, so but reinforcing those beliefs so they became absolutely true for me, that then led to a complete change of mindset that, that you know, I'm, I live sober. It's a sober lifestyle. Sober to me is not just about not drinking. It's a journey of self-discovery and self-improvement. And that's absolutely what it's been for me. So the whole, I know that's a long answer to a short question, but the whole, no, it's good. the whole process was really educating myself, working on my beliefs and then working on changing my mindset through proving those beliefs to myself and, and reinforcing those beliefs with real world experiences.
When you were going out in the real world and like going to gigs, going to pubs or social events, do you ever experience kind of pressure or judgment from other people for not drinking? Yeah, sometimes I've experienced judgment, definitely. And I warn people, you know, when I give like live talks or coach people, I always encourage people to have a strategy, especially around when they tell people they don't drink. I got called boring. I got told it wouldn't last. I kind of made the mistake very early on of just telling everybody all over my social media. You know, I thought I'd found the key to happiness and I thought everybody would want to know and would be as enthusiastic and excited as I am. But that wasn't quite the case. It it made some people hold up a mirror to their own relationship with drinking and they probably didn't like what they saw. So they made some uncomfortable comments. So, yes, I had some comments. Um, These days... No, I don't think anyone would pressure me to drink, really. You know, people know what I do and the lifestyle that I lead, and you know, nearly everybody respects that. What would you recommend for other people who are kind of struggling to explain why they're not drinking? Because I think with dry January coming to an end, that was a really easy way to explain things. And now it's a bit like, oh, but dry January is over and you're still not drinking. What kind of strategy can you recommend for that? It, yeah, absolutely. It's unfortunate that um, not drinking it carries this stigma. You know, it's the only it's the only drug that you have to justify not taking, which is just incredible. And I, you know, I've been through exactly this. There's actually a chapter I put in my book with a, a big list of reasons you could give people. I mean, I won't read the entire list, but it depends where your comfort level is and what you want to do. My my view has always been to be totally open and upfront and just explain to people that I don't drink as a lifestyle choice. I have kind of made sort of jokes and said, look, I've drunk enough wine for a lifetime. So I've stopped. I've had my quota. Um, there's lots of things you could say. You can say you're on medication if you feel you need an excuse or you could say you're driving. There's an absolute stack of things. But I do actually think that an honest approach to an extent that you're happy with is the best way. And to actually plan that out before the event, before you get somewhere. So you know, if you were going to a party and you weren't drinking, think ahead of time, right? What am I going to say? And what might people say back to that? And this is the beauty of Facebook sober groups, because you could actually post in one of these groups in a totally safe space. I'm going to a party tonight. You know, I want to be honest with myself and true to what I'm doing. I don't want to make excuses. What's a good thing to say? And people will come up with suggestions and ideas and you can kick it around with other people on the exact same journey but yeah i do feel a a kind of it works best when there's an element of honesty to it but without preaching and and most people don't judge when when you're actually open about it i find that most people are really curious they actually want to ask how did you quit how much were you drinking and they just want to know your story rather than pressuring you to drink or judging you in some way but the 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 thorny old topic of oh are you an alcoholic yeah that's the one that comes up and i think that's what people fear in those kind of discussions that people will think oh wow they're going to think i'm an alcoholic so you know just planning in advance and thinking about how you're going to say and what you're going to 
how you're going to say it is a great strategy. And actually, I think the list is also on my blog, besober.co.uk. So if anyone wanted to read like a whole list of reasons you could use, I think there's about 50 in the list that I came up with on there. So you're well equipped. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned the Facebook group and obviously your website. Can you tell us a bit about why you started it? Uh, how you started and what kind of benefits you found from running it. Yeah, absolutely. So I always encourage people to journal when they quit drinking. It's so useful to be able to get your feelings and your emotions down in writing. And instead of doing it by hand, I just started a blog and I was getting all my thoughts, my feelings, the things that were working for me, the things that weren't down on this blog. And it turned into a bit of a library of information around my journey of quitting drinking and people started leaving comments saying how much it was helping them how they had connected with a particular post so from there i thought actually i'm going to start a facebook group and see if i can share more of this and get more people to connect and i remember when the first couple of people joined it was the weirdest feeling and now the group's got nearly ten thousand people in it and it's one of the far in fact it is the fastest growing sober group in the world which is just mind-blowing that that many people have connected with the group and want to make a, a lasting change with alcohol so and and it's, it's awesome i've had loads of people on the group who are influencers in this space and we've done interviews and i try and share really helpful engaging content on there that that people can actually get something from that can really give them kind of hope and tactics that they can get where they want to be it just reminds you that you're not the only one on that kind of tough journey of giving up yeah exactly i remember funny you say that the the first time i met i actually met face to face someone else who was sober and who'd had a problem and they'd quit and it it, it did feel like that like wow i'm i'm not the only person in this there's yeah there, there's thousands of people and you're now having the group and the messages i get every day from people is it's just mind blowing how many people are affected by alcohol addiction alcohol abuse and you've also written a book yeah absolutely so books were an amazing tool for me when i quit drinking the book that helped me the most was This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. And I actually work with Annie Grace now. And I've been to Denver and worked with her. And I talked at her convention in America. So um, yeah, she she's helped me. She's inspired me. And now I'm working with her, which is amazing. I realized a few people had said to me, wow, there's so much content on your blog and in this Facebook group that you could make a book from it. And it sort of started out as a bit of a project of sharing some of the stories from the members of the Facebook group, but that was not what it ended up being. And I, as I started writing, I felt that there was, there were plenty of books out there that help people quit drinking. They give you tactics, they give you strategies, but there was very little that set people up for the long term for the challenges that come up, like how do I go to a wedding without drinking? How do I go on holiday without drinking? How do I have sober sex? And sort of these things that are all in the future, but they all come up over time. I felt like I could give those answers. Lots of them were in the blog posts I'd written and, and from my personal experiences. So the book is part memoir, 
it's got all the tactics in terms of how do I quit drinking right now? What do I need to do? And then the second half of the book is why it's called the Sober Survival Guide, a guide for all the stuff that comes up, all the challenges that come up over the long term. Uh, you know, I've had it's sold quite a few copies, I'm, I, you know, incredibly, and the feedback's been amazing. You know, people have really felt that it's an easy read. It's not hard work for the reader it's not tough to digest they can get through it relatively quickly and uh, again the feedback said that it kind of gets to the point it gets it gives people what they need clearly and relatively quickly because at the end of the day if you pick up a book like that i just want to know how to quit just tell me how to quit drinking so i made sure it was quite clear without being a a huge kind of project for somebody to embark on and yeah that and for me personally it's just been an amazing journey i've i'm i'm not a, a writer you know I, I i had some help from a writing coach who corrected all my spelling errors and my grammar errors <laughs> But it's been an amazing journey. And it's also been really awesome because it's helped me get my message out there further. Um, Like I say, I'm now an advocate for the alcohol-free lifestyle. And it's opened up lots of opportunities to speak publicly. It's enabled me to do things like this podcast, which is just so cool because by me talking it feels like it helps other people and it spreads that message further and you know just one person might listen to this who is worried about their relationship with drinking and they might think wow he you know he just sounds like a normal guy which i absolutely am who who was in a really bad place and managed to make a change if he can do it i can do it and it and people see hope and become inspired by by just hearing those things. And that to me is what makes it all worthwhile and all the hard work, the blood, sweat and tears with the book all worthwhile. That actually leads really neatly onto my final question, which is if someone's listening and maybe they're thinking about giving up, but they're not sure, you know, I don't know if I have an alcohol problem. Is it really that bad? What are the signs that you would say someone should kind of approach sober living? I think for me, the when I look back at it now, the number of times I Google things like, am I an alcoholic? Am I drinking too much? How much is too much? What are the, I remember Googling what the guide, the safe drinking guidelines were globally. So I could find another country with a higher limit so that I could just say, well, you know, Spain's by the way, has got the highest limit in Europe. So I thought to myself, well, I like paella, so I'll stick with the Spanish guidelines instead of the English ones. So they were kind of warning signs to me. But also, I could see that I was putting alcohol in front of things. My son would perhaps say in the evening, oh, can we go bowling? And Sometimes I'd stay home because I wanted to drink or sometimes I would go and then I would start getting tetchy because it was getting to wine o'clock and I really wanted to be home. I really wanted to open that bottle. I remember doing the same thing at the the school bonfire night and we were all there and it was going on a bit and I just wanted to get back. So evaluate where you're placing alcohol in the level of importance of things in your life. I often say to people, I do a test around fixation with alcohol and liberation from alcohol. And I say to people, just imagine for a minute that you're walking up to the door of a party. Now, the old me, I would have been thinking before I even knocked on the door, 
Where's that first drink coming from? What's it going to be? How quickly can I get it down? And then I would be, while I was having that drink, thinking about the second drink. That's when you're fixated. When you're liberated, you're walking up to the door. You're not thinking about the first drink. You're thinking about the people inside, what it's going to be like, who's going to be there, maybe what the food's going to be like as as a as a party as it's meant to be not obsessing about the booze so kind of just putting yourself in that position stood outside the door of that party what's the thing on your mind what you know are you liberated or are you fixated are you free and that's a pretty good test and as i say thinking about the things you've googled in the past is often a very big clue as well yeah definitely i think the second you're asking is there a problem here there might be a problem there yeah exactly and i often say to people who are who are in my facebook group yeah they've joined a sober group and then they ask me a question like yeah do you think i've got a problem and i say well you wouldn't have been googling and searching on facebook for sober groups and how do i quit drinking or buying sober books if you didn't think you had a problem so i'm gonna say probably yes and probably it's time to evaluate your relationship with alcohol If you've been affected by any of the issues we discussed today, please contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to the website at samaritans.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a rate and review on iTunes and come join us on our Facebook group, which is just Mentally Yours. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.